Hey there, good evening kiddos. It's your daddy. It's April 22nd, 2020. And welcome to the 22nd episode of Your Daddy Podcast. Tonight we are going to be reading from Matthew chapter 22, right? And it looks like it's kind of a long chapter, so... Let's go ahead and start reading. Hope you guys had a good day. I had a good day. Got some new guys in today. Mr. Josh. Mr. Bill. Um, who else? Oh, two Joshes. We have a lot of Joshes. Hard to keep straight. But that's okay. They're all good guys. Okay, so. Anyways. Get to it here. Matthew chapter 22, chapter 22. And uh, turns out there are one section, two sections, three sections, four sections, five sections, five sections. The first section is called The Parable of the Wedding Feast. Verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, I think he's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees here, the bad guys, basically, the ones who are going to end up killing him. Again, Jesus, Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And that was a very strange parable, and I think it meant that 
Jesus' people, the Israelites, were, for the most part, rejecting him. Just like the first group of wedding guests, they not only rejected his invitation, but they did really mean things to him. So that's why Jesus was going to extend his ministry to everybody because his people didn't didn't believe him or welcome him. Okay, next section. The Pharisees ask, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodian saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care any care about anyone, for you do not regard, regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <clears throat> See, they were trying to trap him here. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. Let's say a denarius is like a, a coin, but it's like a $20, $20 coin. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? So the coin had a face on it. Verse 21, They said to him, Caesar's. And he, Jesus, said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So Jesus didn't answer their question directly, but he said, Hey, who owns the money? And it was Caesar, because Caesar had his picture on the money. So Jesus said, yeah, if Caesar wants his money, his picture's on it, so you really should give him the money. But everything else in the world belongs to God. I think that's kind of what that meant. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, like the money and taxes, and to God the things that are God's. Ooh. Then you would ask yourself, whose image and inscription does God um, have his? Where is God's image and inscription? And the answer to that would be all of creation. So that was the, the really kind of roundabout answer that Jesus was getting at with the Pharisees. Okay, next section is called the Sadducees. What about the resurrection? That's the question they're asking Jesus. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife 
and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. That's what they used to do back then, you guys. If if somebody, if a, if a brother died, his wife would go to one of the living brothers' house and stay with them. That's how a wife was taken care of after her husband died. They went to live with a brother and actually married that brother too. Kind of weird, doesn't it? Don't do it today. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third even to the seventh. Last of all, the women, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Next section, the scribes, which is the first commandment of all. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Last section is, Jesus, how can David call his descendant Lord? While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. And that's the end of Matthew chapter 22. Kiddos, that's these different sections and different parables Jesus tells can be very hard to understand 
and they all have concepts behind them but it's they're tricky they're tricky to understand so I am just very happy that you listened and don't worry about if they made complete sense we can talk about them later if you want remind me to explain you more about Matthew chapter 22 or any of the things you heard that don't quite make sense right away so what do you think should we read some wing feather let's read some wing feather we read last night we read chapters 57 and 58 and they were mainly all about Lily um, doing her thing fighting the war and then still not wanting to um, oh no they really didn't say much about um, the one song but she was getting really tired wasn't she because she was doing double duty she's dispatching the the uh, dogs to different battle battlefronts throughout the city and she was playing songs to keep the fangs at bay and who was her who was her main new best friend what was a dog's name who was really scared and kind of a rebel at first little Frankel and uh, he would entertain her and keep her company and watch over her Oh, and she played a song, and she was able to reach out and kind of see uh, Janner and Cal and let them know through the song and their connection through the song that we're still here, still fighting. You have to keep fighting too. And she didn't hang on to them. She just bade them a... a safe journey and then ended her song so she was so tired but right when she was trying to go to sleep she heard another voice and it said I see you I'll get you girl and she screamed and it scared her really bad and it was Nag reaching into her dream and her vision of the boys and talking to her and it just made her feel really scared. But she knows that the boys are in the deeps now, chasing after Nag, chasing, going towards Nag. And she kind of cried herself to sleep in, in Nia's lap, right? So, chapter 59 is called Swallowed by the Deeps. When the boys woke in the Blackwood, Ood was gone, literally. Janner and Cal sat up in the forest, shivering and alone. There was no sign of the troll's body. Blood stained the leaves where he had lain the night before, and bright green shoots sprouted where his head had been. The boys called for him, hoping against hope that he was alive and merely off gathering food or firewood. Do you smell him? Janner asked. Nothing fresh. Everything here smells old, but not dead old. 
ancient old and alive. It's hard to explain. I smell Ood's blood and his usual stink, but only here where he was lying. This gives me the weirds. What do we do? Janner asked, scanning the forest. We keep going. Is there any water left? Janner was painfully thirsty and hungry too. I gave it all to Ood last night. Kalmar shook the empty canteen. I can go back to the spring, but it's a few miles that way. He pointed north, in the wrong direction. The boys turned south and looked in silence at the slope below them. They no longer needed a guide to show them the way to the deeps of Throg. The deepest part of the valley below, below them seemed to breathe, as if their way led into a dragon's lair in one of the stories Janner, Janner loved. Kalmar said, I smell more water down there. With a last look at the ground where Ood had died, Janner and Kalmar climbed down, wishing with every step that they could turn around and run home. The trees thickened, the land steepened, and soon they were hopping from stone to stone, grabbing old roots and low-hanging limbs for balance. After a while, Janner heard dripping water. They followed the sound to a trickle running into the ravine between two boulders like blood from a wound. They refilled their canteens, guzzled it down, then refilled them again. After hours of climbing down and down, deeper than Janner thought possible, they reached the bottom. They stood in a dank earthen corridor with walls of root and stone and a floor of soggy leaves. Weak sunlight sifted through the trees overhead. Again, they didn't have to wonder which way to go. They were drawn to the deeps like the trickle of water between the stones. They stepped over the rotten remains of trees, swatting at biter bugs as they slogged on for hours without speaking. Janner thought of Esben and Artham all those years ago, dragging themselves along the same path in the opposite direction, from darkness to light. Then he saw a mildewed ribcage half-covered in old leaves. Calmore pointed further ahead at the skeleton of a many-legged beast, intact except for the missing skull. The further they walked, the more bones they saw, until it became impossible to keep from stepping on them. Janner was glad that they had filled their canteens at the last trickle, because now the only water was stagnant, gathered in little pools littered with tiny white bones and green sludge. The boys rounded a tumble of fallen boulders, and beheld the mouth of the cave. Above it rose a flat slab of rock, like an enormous gravestone, so tall that it disappeared into the trees overhead. Below it was the yawning black, was the yawning black mouth of a cavern, swallowing the water that dribbled into it. At first they saw no way down, but Kalmar detected a path that led to and fro over rock and shale and slick root, 
into the deeps of Throg. Let's eat, Cal said. He sat with his legs dangling over the edge and opened his pack. Jan was thankful this once for Cal's appetite because it delayed them at least a few minutes. He sat beside his brother and ate a few crumbles of bread in a strip of dried diggle. I guess we have to go down in order to go up, Janner said as he capped his canteen and shouldered his pack. I don't know about you, but this whole thing strikes me as a bad idea. The worst, Kalmar said with a smile. Oh, the worst, Kalmar said with a smile. You ready? They prayed to the maker for aid then hopped to the first ledge. Janner pretended his legs weren't trembling. He willed himself to go on, reminding himself that he was the throne warden, that he was older than Cal, that there was nothing to do but go on. Calmore moved in quick hops along the path, stopping every few minutes to wait for Janner. The light faded, but Janner's eyes adjusted enough that when they reached the bottom he could still see a little, though there was little to see other than fallen rocks, bones, and spider webs. He looked up the way they had come and was amazed by how welcoming the blackwood now seemed. It was green with new leaves, and the sunlight that had seemed so dim before now looked as bright as a summer day. When he pulled his gaze away, Back to the pathway descending into the deeps, he saw only blackness. We need a torch, he said, embarrassed by how feeble he sounded. I have some strips, and we can use one of these bones. I can see fine, Cal said. Well, good for you. I can't see anything. How much oil do you have? Just the one flask. Keep the bone. We should save the oil for when it's too dark for me to see. I don't like this. I'll help you. Jenner felt Cal's hand on his shoulder. He swallowed his pride and took his brother's furry paw. Just don't walk me off a cliff, all right? Hand in hand, the wingfeather boys made their way deeper into the cave the light behind them fading to nothing, the way Ood's breath had faded the night before. At first, Kalmar had to help Janner around big stones and across cracks wide enough to fall into, but after a little while he assured Janner that the floor was smooth and safe. What can you see? The ceiling is lower, the walls are closer, it looks more like a tunnel now. Is there only one way to go? I think so, and it looks like we're going up again. That was a small encouragement. Jader didn't want to go any deeper, not if the castle frog was on top of the mountain. Kalmar led them on for a while, led them on for what felt like an eternity before he stopped. I can't see. I just realized it. What do you mean you just realized it? I've been smelling my way, and I 
can kind of hear where the tunnel goes, I just close my eyes and realize that everything's totally dark now. Knowing that neither of them could see almost unhinged Janner, he had begun to feel like the mountain was pressing down on him, crushing the part of his mind that knew light and shape until he was forever blind. He needed to light the lantern before he went mad. When he let go of Kalmar's hand, he realized he had been squeezing it for a while now. But with nothing to hold on to, he lost all sense of place and felt like he was falling. He staggered and caught himself against the wall. It was cold and damp, like the wall of the tunnel under Ankle Jelly Manor. Janner chuckled. What is it? Why are you laughing? I was just thinking about Ankle Jelly Manor, the ghost of Brimney Stoop. Oh! Janner snorted with laughter. We were so scared that day. The hungry ghost of Brimney Stoop awaits your bones to swallow. Kalmar said, and now he was laughing too. Remember how fast we ran home? You were screaming like a little girl. Janner wheezed and doubled over. It felt good to laugh, no matter how insane it seemed in their situation. As he leaned against the wall and slid to the floor, he wiped his eyes and saw a million colors. It was a comforting illusion. That was the most afraid I've ever been. And now we're in the deeps of Throg, and neither of us can see a thing. If the ghost of Brimney Stoop showed up, I'd give him a hug. It was, perhaps, the first time laughter had sounded in the deeps of Throg, and when it had passed, the brothers were braver for it. They rested a little while, each of them lost in their thoughts and thankful for the other's presence. That was when Janner heard the music. At first, it was only a hint of a sound, enough that Janner held his breath and shushed Kalmar. He strained to hear it again. As soon as the sound strung itself together into a melody so faint that even breathing made it hard to hear. Did you hear that? Janner asked. Yes. Kalmar's reply was slow and soft and wolfish. Janner's skin crawled. Cal? When he didn't answer, Janner dug blindly through his pack until he found his matches. He dropped them because his fingers were trembling and had to feel around on the floor until he found them. Kalmar was growling. Janner's heart pounded as he struck the match and saw what he most dreaded to see. His brother, crouching only a few feet away. His teeth bared, staring at him with eyes so yellow they seemed to glow. The match fizzled and died, and the darkness fell over Janner like a curtain. Then Kalmar pounced. Chapter 60
the fang attacks. Where the fang attacks. Kalmar, no! Janner screamed. He felt Cal's claws digging into his forearms, heard his jaws snapping just inches from his face. Janner raised his feet to Cal's chest and kicked him away. He heard his brother slam into the cavern wall, growl, and spring again. Janner lunged aside and heard Cal crash into the stone behind him. Only now did Janner understand how foolish it was to infiltrate the deeps with Kalmar at his side. It was probably the most dangerous place for him, so close to where the melding happened. Cal! Janner cried as he scooted along the wall. Your name is Kalmar, son of Esben, king of the Shining Isle. The words came so fast they sounded like gibberish. He was answered by another growl. He heard Cal picking himself up from the ground. Janner wanted to draw his sword, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. He couldn't hurt his brother, even if he, even if he was a fang. It would be better to let Cal kill him. He heard Artham's voice in his head. Protect, protect, protect. But how? What was he supposed to do? If Janner fought, he might kill his brother. If Janner didn't fight, he might be killed. And when Janner came to his senses, he would realize what he had done. That would cast his brother into a shame even deeper than Artham's. Cal, please, please come back. Your name is Kalmar, son of Esben. Janner couldn't go on. His voice broke, and he couldn't speak without sobbing. He was afraid for his life, for Cal's soul, and he couldn't stop thinking about all the people who loved them both, people who would never know how deep Nag's evil ran, how wretchedly the warden and the wolf king would die in the deeps of Throg. Janner was thankful that he couldn't see. Those yellow eyes were too horrible. He heard the shuffle and scrape of Kalmar coming closer. Then another low growl. Please, Cal, I love you. The growl turned into a roar, and Janner's hand went to his sword hilt. He drew it halfway out and slammed it back into the scabbard and waited for the end. He couldn't think of anything else to do. A scream rose from Janner's belly and burst from his mouth as he prepared for the pain. But Kalmar's snarl turned into a mournful howl that filled the tunnel. When the howl faded, Janner realized the distant song had stopped too. Maybe the singer had heard them. As this frightening thought came to Janner, he heard a whine, then the sound of Kalmar padding off into the tunnel alone. Janner had been holding his breath, and he let it out in short gasps, clutching at his chest and blinking away tears. He was so sure he had reached the end, but he wasn't dead. No, this might be something worse. Now, he was all alone 
in the darkness. Chapter 61 Alone in the Deeps of Throg Alone, alone in the deeps of Throg. Janner felt the weight of the mountain, miles of stone reaching to the cold ceiling of the world, all of it pressing down on the tunnel where he sat in the damp darkness. Janner called for Kalmar, but the echo only taunted him, his own lonely voice as frightening as anything else he might have heard. He was in the cellar of Ankle Jelly Manor again, or in the Strander Burrows under Dugtown, or worse, in the coffin at the Fork Factory. Why did his road always lead into blackness? Please don't let me die here. Please let me find a way out. Janner opened his eyes, half hoping that it was as simple as that. Maybe there would be some light, some magical messenger to lead him back to the surface. But there was nothing. He had his matches, along with the bone torch and the oil flask, but in the same way that his voice only made him f feel more alone, he was afraid the torchlight would only illuminate his isolation. He was lost and alone in the worst place he could imagine, the place that had driven his father mad, his uncle mad, and made monsters out of nearly every Anirian, including Kalmar. What was he to do? Curl deeper into the mountain? Or turn back, though that only led to the Blackwood and a horde of angry cloven? A word came to his mind. Protect. Protect Kalmar, who couldn't seem to escape his shame. Kalmar running through the tunnels with his yellow eyes. Kalmar, who had almost killed him. How was he supposed to protect a fang? Janner was angry, but his anger wasn't directed at Cal. His anger was aimed at the one who had allowed all this to happen. So tell me, Maker, what am I to do? What other torments do you have in store? The word came to him again, clear and bright as a jewel. Protect. This time he imagined Artham's voice. Esmond's voice, too. Suddenly he heard Nia, Poto, Oscar, and Lily all speaking quietly, urging him as he had been urged since he was born. Look out for your brother. You're a throne warden. Kalmar needs you. But he left me. He attacked me, Janner thought. The throne warden protects the king, but who protects the throne warden? Janner gritted his teeth and banged his fists on the stone floor. It was a childish thing to do, but he didn't care. He wanted his father. He wanted a home. He wanted to live for just one day without any fear of evil, within or without. Rest. That was what he wanted. He was so tired of running, 
so tired of the constant fear that each day held some new danger or treachery or lie. He wanted a good meal, a good book, a little fire in the winter, and a little shade in the summer. Could there be some world where such a thing existed? Even before Nag rose to power, there were wars and skirmishes and threats to peace. Here we are was a terribly broken place. He didn't have to look far to see it either. Poto's missing leg, because he was hunting young sea dragons for money. Artham's madness, because he had abandoned his brother. Gregory Bunge, the Fangs, the Chimerans, who were so treacherous that Gammon had to work in secret. Was every heart so prone to deceit? Was there no one trustworthy in all of Ariar? Sarah Cobbler. The name came to him like the strum of a whistle harp. He remembered her bright eyes in the fork factory. He remembered her beauty shining through the soot on her weary face. And he remembered the night he left her, remembered his terror as he drove the carriage through the night. That night, he had done the leaving. He had wanted to go back, but he didn't. He had driven away and left her to the overseer's coffin. Had sweet Sarah cursed him as he was now cursing Kalmar? Had she lain in the dark that night in the coffin and wondered why Janner had sped away? Janner was as weak as everyone else in the fractured world, and he knew it. Protect. The word came to him again and again, as steady as a drumbeat. Indeed, it had been beaten into him since he was a baby. And now the rhythm of his mother's word, his uncle's word, drove back the anger. Not completely, but enough that he thought less of his own misery and more of his brother's. He remembered old tales, stories about self-sacrifice and the way a single beautiful act done for the sake of another could shine out again across the dark of the ages like a breaking dawn. When he was little, he and Cal had made swords out of sticks and defeated dragons, fangs, and villains. And Janner had lain awake in his bed at the Igaby cottage, yearning to be one of those heroes. Maybe now the Maker was only giving him what he wanted. Maybe the Maker was answering the prayer of his little boy heart by leading him here and giving him the chance to live one of those stories. Janner bowed his head in the blackness and quieted the clamor of the angry voices in his head. When they persisted, he told them to shut up. He drew in a long breath and thought of Aniria again, where he came into the world in the glow of a great love for some great purpose. 
He thought of green fields and soft rain falling in shafts of sunlight, of the laughter of the children on the white shores of the shining isle, of the ancient dream of every soul for peace and good work and better rest. It was a dream he had nursed in Glipwood, in Banrona, and he discovered that it was a dream that still ran like a deep river, even in the deeps of Throg. His heart grew quiet. Janner pictured Kalmar as alone in the dark as he was himself. Protect, he said out loud, and the echo of his voice brought him comfort this time. It was a defiant sound. Janner felt around on the floor and found the matches. Then he tied a strip of cloth to the end of the bone, soaked it with oil, and lit it, discovering that the tunnel was smaller and wetter than he thought it would be. He shouldered his pack and draped his muddy Durgan cloak over it. My name is Janner Wingfeather, Throne Warden of Aneria, he said, adjusting Rudrick's sword on his hip. Hold on, Cal. He followed the fang deeper into the mountain. Okay, next chapter is chapter 22, and it's called The Cue of Destruction. And that's where we're stopping tonight, you guys. Daddy's really tired. But anyways, I love you, kiddos. been praying for you. I hope you have a great and wonderful night. Please give Mommy a big squeeze for me, okay? And, uh, yeah, get some good sleep. Brush your teeth. Lay your clothes out for tomorrow. Love you, kiddos. Catch you later. Night-night.